Uh, so glad that you're with us today. And uh, my name's Pete, one of the pastors here, and we're going to be continuing on the journey that we're on, uh, walking through the season of Advent together, which is a time set aside for centuries now that followers of Jesus of all different traditions and denominations around the world have uh, observed these four weeks leading up to Christmas as a time of preparing our hearts to receive the gift of God's presence through Christ. And so we are uh, uniquely entering into the season of Advent by participating in a movement known as the Advent Conspiracy, which is essentially um, a vision of reclaiming or redeeming Christmas. And imagining what it might look like for us as communities of Christ followers to celebrate Christmas in a way that looks more like the way Jesus showed up in our world, rather than the craziness and the consumerism and the hectic anxiety that tends to come with this time of year. And so uh, I hope that you've gotten the point that the idea isn't to bash Christmas and go all Grinch or whatever and say this whole thing's stupid, let's not do it. The point's to do Christmas better to have a more authentic, a more meaningful experience around this time of year, to experience the presence of God and to be people who are embodying Christ's presence to one another and to the world around us. And so we are a part of this movement, and um, the four kind of pillars of the conspiracy are to spend less, to give more, to love all, and really all three of those are done with the hope of pursuing the fourth pillar, which is to worship fully. That we would find Christmas to be an incredibly worshipful time, meaning we are treasuring Christ and experiencing his power and his presence in a significant way as a church family. And so this morning, we're going to focus in on that second pillar, uh, which is give more. And uh, I want to start by showing you uh, one of the new videos that our friends at the Advent Conspiracy have put out. And this one is by a close friend of mine, Scott Erickson, who's an artist. And uh, kind of just a playful way to help us imagine what would it look like to enter into this season in a meaningful way. So we'll go ahead and roll that. Dear friends and family, I don't think I can do Christmas this year. And mom, I know what you're gonna say. Don't be so dramatic, but I'm serious. I love parts of it, don't get me wrong. The family dinner, Ben's famous eggnog, grandma's oatmeal cookies, Tim's Christmas sweater hugs. But that's not what's getting to me. It's the 10 days till Christmas pressure, the never ending to-do list, the traffic jams, the credit card debt, all for what? To get that right gift to give meaning to it all? We spend so much money every year on good things for each other, but also on a lot of things just for things sake. Like that random gift card for you, Tracy, because I never know what you want. Or Cousin Joel, that shirt I know you didn't really like that wasn't your size, which made you go back to the mall and waste that whole day just so you could receive a gift from me. And it's not that gifts are bad, but lately I don't understand how all the buying and busyness has anything to do with celebrating Christmas. shepherds. And an angel appeared and said, Be not afraid. I bring you good news. A baby has been born. His name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
When did I forget what this has always been about? Maybe Christmas doesn't need to be different, but I need to be different. So here's what I'm going to do. The wife and I sat down. We decided to spend less anxiety, energy, and money, and instead give more relationally, like how God gave his son. Some of you we see all the time, so we thought about the gifts that could make that time more meaningful together. Others of you we don't see as often, so we wanted to make something with a bit of heart. We tried lots of things, and then we found out from a friend that you can roast your own coffee beans with a popcorn popper. So our family is making gifts with some personal notes and prayers. If the love of Jesus changed the world, what if, in celebration of that, we took a portion of what we used to spend on gifts for each other and instead gave a lasting gift to those in need? I know, alone, our small gift doesn't seem huge. But the story of Christmas is that we're not alone. And if we all gave together, all of a sudden it's not so small anymore. And that's a Christmas story that I'd like to be a part of, and one we would all remember. So dear friends and family, who's ready for that Christmas? I know we are, and we're inviting you to join us. So again, yeah, it's great. Again, hoping you're getting the idea that this isn't to trash Christmas or say we shouldn't do it, but the hope is to figure out how can we do this better. And uh, it's not some four-step program that you have to do. It's not some new legalistic, weird religious thing. It's just uh, an invitation and really a, a gift, permission to, to think and reflect honestly about how can we really enter into this story and experience Jesus and reflect the good news about him to the people around us. And so this morning we're going to zoom in on the idea of giving more. If you've got a Bible, let's go to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And um, each one of the Gospel accounts has in its own way um, a beginning to the story of Jesus, a beginning that talks about how Christ shows up in the world, and we're most familiar with the accounts that have mangers and shepherds and wise men and all that kind of stuff, but John's take, or John's way of telling the story of how Jesus shows up in the world, uh, doesn't have any of that, and in fact, what he uses is some pretty heavy and loaded theological language to describe what happened uh, at the first Christmas, if you will. And so we'll read in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And we'll pause here for a moment. This is John's version of the first Christmas story. And you'll notice that it doesn't begin at 0 AD or wherever we would expect it to, right? But it begins before the beginning of human history. It begins with a, a God who in and of himself is a relationship, or a community. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. John's way of talking about God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, is the Word. So he's referring to the pre-incarnate 
version of Jesus, if that makes sense. God eternally existing in relationship with, within himself before the beginning of time. And he talks about God the Son as the Word who was with God the Father. Skip down to verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So that Word enters into human history. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. In many ways, the week like the one we've just had is an incredibly confusing one. Because on one hand, as followers of Jesus, we're clinging on to this story that God has come into the world and he is now with us. He is Emmanuel. And the songs that we sing and the cards that we write would proclaim that Jesus has come and therefore there should be joy in the world and there should be peace on earth. And so we celebrate that. On the other hand, we look at the news and you see a world marked by suffering, evil, tragedy, all kinds of division and war, terrorism, racism, mass shootings. And it doesn't feel very Christmassy, does it? And there's a conflict that we wrestle with of going, Jesus comes and proclaims peace on earth, God with us, joy to the world, and the world we live in is really broken. Maybe you saw this headline this week, the daily news in light of the San Bernardino shooting, and you have all these in their take Politicians who are saying, our thoughts and our prayers are with the victims. Our thoughts and our prayers. And the daily news goes, God isn't fixing this. Your thoughts and your prayers are meaningless. Right? That's an honest take, which we could get really defensive about, or we could be honest and go, yeah. <laughs> we really wish that God would somehow show up in an undeniable way and put an end to the suffering, the tragedy, the evil. Like that's, if there's one thing we really want for Christmas, it's for God to fix this. God to take care of what's wrong in this broken world. That's what we want. We want God to show up and we believe he could do that, right? Like we believe as Christians that God is strong and he's sovereign and he's wise and he's good and he's loving. And we long for God to break into the world. So for right now, let's just pause and go, all this talk doesn't feel very Christmassy, but this is exactly the point of the season of Advent. The season of Advent keeps us connected to reality. 
instead of checking out of reality to sing about flying deer and fat men with presents. Advent keeps us grounded in longing for God to show up and to break into our world. So I don't know how they actually meant this, but for me, I can recite those same words in a form of prophetic lament, of longing for God to break in and bring peace on earth and joy to the world. This is what Advent does. It's a time for us to earnestly seek and long and pray and act in partnership with God's working in our world. But again, this is what we want. We want a God to show up and fix things. And the Christmas story, if we're honest, the real Christmas story is actually a little disappointing. Because I want a God to show up and make everything right, and instead, what do we get? A baby. God's like, I'm coming. I'm going to rescue my people. I'm going to make the, the world new again. I'm going to make everything right. I'm going to deal decisively with sin and injustice and oppression and terrorism. This is the promise that the prophets gave to God's people for centuries. God's coming. He's going to show up. The, the world will never be the same. And he shows up as a baby, literally born in a barn, to an unmarried teenage mom. Now, I don't know if you had a time in your life where you had a really disappointing gift. <laughs> like you really wanted this, but instead you got that, right? You really wanted a puppy, but instead you got some stupid book or something like that, right? Sometimes that can be really disappointing to not get the thing you really want. Talk about a disappointing gift. We want God to show up and fix our world, and instead he gives us a little baby. It's a confusing story. And so, what I want to seek to do this morning from John's account of Christmas is show that even though this baby is probably not what any of us would have chosen, it's exactly the gift that we and the entire world needs. And so we'll start by looking at the scandal of the incarnation. So Christians have always believed that the baby who was born to the Virgin Mary was the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, who, as John tells us, was in relationship with the Father and the Spirit from all eternity past and actually created the entire world. He says that everything that's been made was made by him. And then at some point, God decided that it was time to intervene, to break into human history. And so the Father sends the Son, and he's born to Mary, and his name is Jesus. This is the doctrine of the incarnation, and it's simply an outrageous claim for us to make. And in fact, the word scandalous would not be extreme at all. Incarnation, if you're not familiar, comes from two Latin words. In, which means in, and <laughs> carne, which means what? Any Mexican food fans? 
It means meat. Carne asada, grilled meat, right? A carnival is actually a meat festival, believe it or not. That sounds like a better carnival than most of the ones I go to, but <laughs> that's the idea. So an incarnate deity would be God becomes a piece of flesh. The infinite, all-powerful, almighty, all-wise, all-knowing creator of the heavens and the earth takes on human form. He doesn't just put on a human costume, but he actually becomes a piece of meat, a flesh. Let me read to you a quote by Frederick Buechner. The incarnation is a kind of vast joke whereby the creator of the ends of the earth comes among us in diapers. And until we, too, have taken the idea of the God-man seriously enough to be scandalized by it, we have not taken it as seriously as it demands to be taken. Okay, so for many of us that have grown up in Christianity or in the Christian church, the idea that God has become a human in Jesus isn't a scandalous idea. It's just kind of our story. And Buchner's trying to call us to remember that this is nuts. This almost is offensive that God would reduce himself to a piece of flesh. When I was a much younger pastor, I did a Christmas sermon on this very topic entitled Christmas, The Day God Pooped His Pants. Now, I'm much more mature now, and I would never say that in public. And people were quite offended, which is exactly the point. There's something incredibly offensive about this story of the Word becoming flesh, God becoming man, deity becoming carne. It should be offensive that God is a, in a diaper. The God who made the heavens and the earth can't even clean up after himself. Right, so for our, for like our Jewish and Muslim neighbors in the world, this is a completely incomprehensible idea. It's an offensive idea. Because God is way too good, way too big, way too powerful, way too mysterious to ever come down to our level. But for Christians, this is where our story begins. So why does God do it? Well, in verse 14, we're told that the word becomes flesh, makes his dwelling among us or moves into our neighborhood so that we are able to see the glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. So the reason that God becomes human in Jesus, there's many of them. But what John tells us here is that first and foremost, God comes in the form of Christ, becomes human, and Jesus is here to reveal to us the good news about who God is and what he's like. So I'll read to you from Dale Bruner. Christ is the human face of God. Jesus is the autobi autobiography <laughs> of God. In Christ, God was spelling himself out, expressing himself. 
Jesus was the audible, visible word who expressed the heart of the inaudible, invisible God. So have you ever been in a situation where you really wanted to know what someone else was thinking? Like you know that there's something going on in there, but for whatever reason you can't get them to just come out and say that? Have you ever had that moment? Husbands? Anybody? Like, I know you're thinking something, but I don't know what it is, and I know you want me to know, so I wish, I, I wish you would just say it. You know what that's like? That's exactly the problem that God begins to solve for us in the incarnation. We long to know exactly who he is and what he's like. And so what audible words are to inaudible thoughts, the visible Jesus is to the visible God. Just like words give meaning and shape and understanding to thoughts, Christ shows up and says, this is what God is like. So in the incarnation, God translates himself into human form. And the result is now that we have a chance to get to see the invisible. The paradox of that is powerful. And so at one point later on in his life, Jesus would tell his disciples, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. If you want to know what kind of God we have, he says, look at me. And so we can think about all of this in the context of what happened at that first Christmas. And I would argue that an incredible gift has been given. And the gift that was given at the first Christmas wasn't stuff. It was nothing that money could buy that you could find at a mall or that you could order on Amazon. The true and ultimate gift at Christmas is God giving himself to us. And the invitation here in kind of verses 9 through 13, uses the language of receiving. He came to that which was own, verse 11, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You see what's happening here? The gift that God gives at the first Christmas, is of himself into relationship with him, where he becomes our true father and we become his true sons and daughters, where we are given a new identity, a new home, a new name, a new destiny, a new community, and a new mission. That's what God gives and John lays out the tragedy that many of the people who God offers that gift to did not receive it. And essentially that gift sits still wrapped, unopened, 
full of everything that our hearts long for, full of everything that the world needs. God has given himself to us, invited us to find life in him. And so the promise at this point isn't that, there's, that life's going to be easy or that things are always going to go your way or that life's going to be good. That's not the gift that God's offering. What is he offering? Not that there won't be storms, but that he will be with us during the storms. That his presence now dwells among us. That he, in Jesus, is Emmanuel. God with us. And I'm wondering if we've forgotten how to receive Christ. How to rest, how to trust, how to experience this gift that God's given. And so that would be my first invitation for us as a community this morning as we think about how to engage in an authentic Advent. Before we talk about the gifts that we're going to give to God or anyone else, we start by simply pausing and acknowledging the gift that God has given us, that he is with us. He is accessible to us. He has translated himself to us. And he says, receive me. Receive my son. Receive my spirit. Find yourself in relationship with me. And then from there, the conversation turns into, how can we become the kind of people that give the kind of gifts that God has given us? If God has modeled for us what love and relationship and giving and generosity are, then let's let that inform not only the way we celebrate Christmas, but the way we live all year long. To be the kind of people who receive life and love and blessing and grace from Christ and then at the same time turn and extend that same kind of life and love and blessing and grace to others. So flip with me towards to the end of John's gospel now. And after his death and his resurrection... In John chapter 20, Jesus shows up amongst his disciples again. In verse 19, on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and side and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So how did the Father send the Son? How was Jesus sent into the world? He was sent incarnationally. He was sent to be God's presence on earth amongst God's people. He was sent 
to translate all the kind of obscure and vague and mysterious wonders and questions we have about God, he was sent to translate all of that into flesh and blood. He was sent incarnationally to live among, to give himself, and to invite others into relationship. So that's how the Father sent the Son, and what he says here is that as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And this is Jesus' commission, not just to those original disciples, but to all of those who would call ourselves disciples of Christ. That we are now sent into the world the same way that Jesus was sent into the world. He passes the torch, so to speak. and says, you guys take it from here. I've taught you how to live in such a way that the people around you get to experience the goodness and the presence of God. Now you go do that. So Jesus comes incarnationally and he now sends us out to go be an incarnational people. Meaning our faith isn't just a bunch of words and doctrines and verses and theological beliefs, but all those words would become flesh. That they would transform that the way we live every day. And so the, part of the hope in this conversation about learning how to give more is that the 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 story of incarnation would start to shape the way we see what it is to give. And how we would even evaluate what is a good gift? What's a truly valuable gift? And so if you think back on Christmas over the last few years, we've talked about this, but most of us probably can't remember most of the gifts that we've received. If you think really hard, maybe you can pull up one or two. But for the most part, like it was maybe really nice or special in that moment on the 25th, but within a few days, few weeks, months, we've kind of forgotten already. And uh, what we're trying to do is say, gift giving is good. And the reason we give gifts at Christmas is because God has given a gift to us. And we want to reflect that through giving. But what would it look like to give truly better gifts? So the meaning of Christmas is that God has given himself to us. So when we give gifts to our loved ones, if we simply reduce that story to, I bought you something that cost a lot of money and that's how you know I love you we're actually missing the whole story. What would it look like for us to give gifts of relationship, to give of ourselves, to give not just materially, but a gift of love, an invitation to relationship? And so for some of us, um, like when you see Scott roasting coffee beans in a popcorn maker. Some of you coffee people are probably pretty offended by that. But <laughs> <laughs> for, 
For some of us, doing something kind of Pinteresty or whatever, like that's fun and exciting to think about. Others of us, you, you don't need to go there, right? It's not going to be pretty. Um, but I love the idea of making gifts, something that would require an actual investment of your time and energy and emotion and skill. <clears throat> For others of us, what if the Christmas gifts we gave were, let's go and do something together, right? So what if instead of buying your kid a baseball bat, you bought him the bat and a day at the batting cages together? What if instead of just giving somebody an iTunes download card or a CD for Adele or whatever, like what if you actually went to the concert together to sit there and to create a memory? What if your family, instead of just spending a bunch of money you don't have buying each other things you don't need, said, let's create a memory together. Let's go on a trip. Let's go spend time in a place together. That's one way to look at it. So I've always been the guy, before I kind of dove into the conspiracy, that does the majority of my shopping on Christmas Eve, right? <laughs> Some of you guys know exactly what that's like. Like you run out and you're just, you know, hitting Fred Meyer or wherever it is. You got your list and you're trying to <clears throat> cross everybody off. You're buying the first thing that you see for everybody. And then six months later, Neither I or the people I'm buying for remember what any of that is. For me to give relationally actually requires more effort. It actually requires me to think and maybe even pray about how I could give you a gift that would be an authentic Christ-like expression of love. So, wives... What would it mean to you to know that your husband had been thoughtfully and prayerfully considering how he can give himself to you more fully at Christmas? Not just going through your list and buying you stuff that you say you want, but actually him thinking through, how could I really show her that I treasure her? that I love her, that I want to be with her. That would, that would be a whole different experience, wouldn't it? And parents, what if you saw Christmas morning as an opportunity to help your kids understand the story about Jesus? What if it was a time to celebrate the most important things in life? God and people. Now, I know some of you this creates some anxiety, and again, you don't have to do this. You really don't. And if you're celebrating Christmas like with extended family, and it's going to be really weird for you to show up with like, you know, home home popped coffee beans, you know, like that's not going to be good news <laughs> in all contexts. And I get that. But it also is an incredible opportunity for you to demonstrate the gospel of Jesus for the people you care most about. Not just to tell them that Jesus loves them, but to actually show them through a gift 
of relationship and love. And so in the commons today, there's a a fair that's set up to help inspire some ideas for relational giving. And uh, for some of you, that will be a really helpful thing. As we get close to Christmas, you can get some actual tools and insights on how to do this. But for the rest of us, I'd simply say, um, would you at least reflect on the idea that God gives himself to us and invites us to give ourselves to each other? And that the true gifts, the best gifts, aren't anything that money can buy, but it's that which comes from within us. The promise of I love you, I'm with you, I value you. So let's share life together. Let's give ourselves to one another. I'm gonna make one last observation. When Jesus in John 20 here, shows up after his resurrection and says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. You'll read in verse 20 that he shows them his hands and his side. So with scars in his hands and in his side, he says, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. What's he saying? saying this is going to cost you greatly. This is going to cost you your life. So we're not just talking about a cute little program that we run at Christmas. The invitation of Jesus to come follow him is the invitation to come and die. To take up a cross to follow after him, to knowingly and willingly follow in the footsteps of a suffering God. So when we long for a God to show up who's going to fix things, it actually isn't enough to simply say our thoughts and prayers are with you. It's a good place to start. And there's no guilt or shame in responding to any tragedy that way. But the invitation of Jesus is that word becomes flesh. Thoughts and prayers become action. Theology becomes practice. That God does show up in the world and he could show up however he wanted But the way he's chosen to show up in the world today is through his church. He calls us to be his incarnational presence. To be the body, the hands, the feet, the mouth of Jesus in the world. To identify those places of tragedy and suffering and pain and loss around us and around the world, and to be those who receive Christ and then live as his agents of grace and mercy and justice and reconciliation. And we're gonna have some scars to show for it.
So it'll cost you something. But it won't cost any of us anything compared to what it cost Jesus to include us in himself, to give himself to us. And so we go out to love and to serve the world as those who have been loved and saved by Jesus himself. Father, we are so thankful for the true and ultimate gift that you have offered in your son and in your spirit. So grateful that you have revealed yourself to us and invited us to come find our home in you. And so I pray for our community here this morning, would you give us the faith to receive you today, whether for the first time or for the millionth time? Would we be people who come with open hands to receive love and life from you? And then in that same motion, would you empower us by the presence of your Son and the power of your Spirit to go and live out this good news in a suffering and hurting world around us. Here in Bend, Central Oregon, San Bernardino, and to the ends of the earth. Lord, here we are, your people, the body of your Son, ready to be broken apart and poured out for the healing of the world. We don't know why you've chosen us, but we know you have. So give us the faith to receive you and to receive this commission as well. To give better gifts at Christmas and all year for your glory. In Jesus' name.